This is an audio series from the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, please be sure to show your support and follow us on our other social media platforms. Check out the links listed in the description of this episode to find out more. Thank you. The night draws near and the shadows stir. You're alone in the woods. Dead leaves crunch underfoot and the wind bites at your neck. You feel a chill down your spine as the fog ushers you deeper into the darkness. A darkness full of eyes that watch and whispers of stories. I am your storyteller. And this is Campfire Chronicles. Tonight's story follows orphan Robin Thornton. Upon arrival at Lowcrest House, he hears rumours that the matron is a witch. Following the strange disappearance of his friend, he decides to take matters into his own hands, making a truly gruesome discovery. Every children's home had a dweller. A child that wasn't so lucky to be taken to a new home with loving foster parents. Inside the imprisoning walls of Lowcrest House, a small shelter for abandoned kids, little Robin Thornton was that dweller. A scrawny ten-year-old boy with ruffled blonde hair and a dried porridge stain down the front of his moth-eaten jumper. His glasses were dusty and his shoelaces were missing. Robin took the dweller name in stride, seeing as he'd been at Lowcrest House for four years and it certainly didn't seem like he was going anywhere anytime soon. The children that he met on his first day were long gone and he hoped that meant his time was close. He'd stayed at another home before which he often daydreamt about. It was a beautiful country house with acres of land in a quiet area of rural England. Run by the sweet couple Mr and Mrs Parsons, it was a place where no matter where you came from or what you'd been through, you fit in. It meant a lot to him because, surprisingly, he was the only one there whose parents were dead. When he was just five years old, his mother and father perished in a hiking accident. The pair were roped together as they trekked along the unstable cliffside before the rocks crumbled beneath their feet, hurtling them towards their certain death. Their bodies were never recovered. Rescue teams scoured the surrounding area and found nothing. No hiking boots no backpacks, nothing. They just disappeared. A few years ago, on a spring afternoon at the country house, Robin was helping Mrs Parsons with the laundry. She carried a large wicker basket of clothes to the top of the staircase, Robin following behind with another small load in his arms. As they laughed about their morning playing garden games together with the other residents, Robin dropped a single sock. Mrs Parsons took her eyes off the stairs for a split second to bend down and pick it up. She lost her balance, 
and was sent tumbling downwards until she hit the tiles of the lobby below with a sickening crack. Mr Parsons appeared from the reading room and stumbled upon the lifeless body of his wife sprawled with her split skull drenched in a pool of her own blood. The little boy at the top of the stairs watched helplessly as his world was turned upside down once more. Solely blamed for what had happened, he was sent away. That's how he wound up at Lowcrest House. Grey skies shrouded the ghostly town of Lowcrest Valley. The green-topped hills that surrounded it were the only source of colour in that washed-out place, as if offering some kind of hope beyond them. Few cars travelled the potholed roads, and Robin could count on one hand how many people lurked in the shadows of vacated shops and many other dilapidated buildings. There was no hustle and bustle that one might expect to find in the town centre. Wedged between a waterlogged public toilet and a broken clock tower stood a single phone box, but the phone had been snapped from the cord. Lowcrest House was a detached property situated at the end of a deserted cul-de-sac and was purposefully set aside from everything else. The weather-beaten roof had lost many of its slate tiles which now lay shattered in the ashen soil of the front garden. Fungi swallowed the flower beds, and a birdbath lay toppled over, slightly submerged in the ground. Inside, partially chewed floorboards creaked beneath the feet of the occupants of that hollow house. The scurrying of tiny-footed squatters looming in the dark and dingy corners was present in every room. When he entered his new home, Robin's nostrils filled with the musty smell of damp and what he thought was the sickening stench of rotten vegetables. Home. He used the word scarcely, insisting it was anything but. It was a well-governed place. When he arrived there, all of his possessions were snatched away from him, including a bag of marbles he'd collected with his mother, which was the only thing he had to remember her by. Rules were set so that the children were not to enter certain rooms, or enter each other's rooms for that matter. Every child was limited to the garden for outdoor activities, surrounded by dead bushes and barbed wire fences. Upstairs at the end of the landing, there was a narrow archway. This too was strictly off-limits, and everyone was told to never enter. No matter how young or how old they were, the set bedtime was the same. 7.30pm. Robin wouldn't sleep. He often couldn't, lying in bed wishing for better days until guilt suffocated him because his mind would drift to Mrs Parsons' death. He wanted dearly to do so much more than to be stuck inside the cold, damp walls of that prison with the draconian matron. The kids of the house only knew her as matron. They were terrified of her because nobody knew her real name. It is hard to trust anyone whose name you do not know. She was a feeble woman in her mid-seventies, with a head of thinning grey hair lined with dark liver spots. She had prowled about that house for at least forty years, staring down her watered, crooked nose with prying eyes, waiting for the children to act up. She had the sternest of frowns and she never smiled. Luckily, most of the children didn't spend long in her clutches, eventually being adopted. But adoption days at Lowcrest House were strange. The adoption process would happen during the night while everyone was asleep. Robin noticed that there were never any visitors, nobody to collect the child. Then the next morning the matron's hair would look a little healthier and her skin a little more youthful. It had become too coincidental for Robin to ignore. There would always be a letter from the chosen few who would write to them, 
but these were always incredibly brief. They would often read something along the lines of, I have found my new family. Thank you. And that would be that. Just a simple sentence, maybe a touch more. There was never a tribute to any of the bleak memories they conjured together during their residency. Robin noticed that all of the children who had moved on were ones that often misbehaved, and it soon became common knowledge for the other children. Of course, they all wanted to be adopted, but the problem was that they weren't sure what really happened to those that vanished in the night. So Robin had no intention of seeking trouble, not like his friend Michael Boulder. Michael's company was the only good thing about Lowcrest House. They were close, as not only did they share a room, they had one very traumatic thing in common. Michael was the only other orphan he had ever met. He too had lost his parents in a terrible accident when he was younger. They were crushed in the front seats of their car as they ploughed into the back of a heavy goods vehicle. Brake failure. Miraculously, Michael survived in the rear booster seat and came out unscathed. He grew up to be an audacious kid, and he was a few years older, maybe 14 or 15, Robin was never sure, but he was always eager to see how far he could overstep the line. He, as much as anyone, wanted to be adopted, and when Robin told him it was the misbehaved ones that were freed, it played into Michael's nature perfectly. One evening, after the matron had gone to bed, he locked up Jinx, her cherished feline friend, in the cupboard upstairs. When she found out, she entered a rage so fierce that even the rats retreated to their nests. All of the children were locked in their rooms for the whole week, while for the rest of that very day, Michael received the first of many punishments. Robin remembered the sound of the cane lashing against Michael's bare skin amidst his cries of agony until it stopped abruptly at some point far beyond midnight. It was a lesson to be learned by the children. Don't touch the matron's cat. But this didn't stop Michael. Armed with a permanent marker, he wrote, The matron is a witch, in huge, bold, scruffy letters, which was exactly what the children all thought of her. Another round of lashings hadn't taught him any better. A week later, after the cane sores had healed, he staged a break-in, stole a piece of jewellery from her bedroom, and stashed it in the drawer of his bedside table. Robin remembered being woken sharply in the night with the matron looming over his roommate. She beat him on the spot. Robin pretended to be asleep the entire time while quietly sobbing into the mattress. The prospect of receiving such punishment terrified him. He had never been beaten before. Despite all that he was going through, Michael hadn't had enough. Older, but perhaps no wiser than Robin, his thirst for mischief was not satisfied. He needed to do something to put an end to his time in that wretched place and find a new family. He wanted to go out with a bang. On a brisk November evening as the mists began to settle on the hills of the valley, the two orphans were out in the barren yard of the house. Engulfed in fog and trembling in the bitterness, Robin listened as Michael revealed a terrible, twisted plot. Here, Robin, he beckoned as he pulled a large object from his coat. A firework. Not just any firework. It was the Kaboom 6000, the biggest and loudest rocket one could buy over the counter. How it came into Michael's possession remained a mystery. What are you doing with that? Robin nervily inquired. You'll see. 
Michael smirked. Robin watched his friend with reluctance. The last thing he wanted at that moment was to wake the matron by setting off the firework. At least, that's all he thought they were doing. From a flimsy plastic bag, Michael pulled out a large, foul-smelling thing. Robin grimaced as the eye of a salmon stared right at him. Since moving there, he could never shake the feeling of being watched, and seeing that glossy eyeball made him shudder. Michael chucked the fish on the ground and eagerly waited. A few minutes of stony silence passed while the rotten stench stowed in their nostrils. Then, Michael made a short squeak and pointed to a dead shrub by the barbed wire fence. Through his own cold, cloudy breath floating in front of his face, Robin saw two emerald green eyes glaring in their direction. Jinx emerged with curiosity. Her nose twitched as she caught the scent of the tainted treat. With every poor step closer, she fell deeper into Michael's trap. Take this, Michael said as he handed Robin the Kaboom 6000, positioned himself behind her and patiently waited for her to take the bait. We shouldn't be doing this, Robin exclaimed. Whenever Jinx was near, Robin felt uneasy as he knew it meant the matron was lurking nearby. Michael shushed him as he waited and waited. Jinx was apprehensive, as if she knew something was afoot. She kept looking over her shoulder at him, but after a few more tense moments, she edged towards the fish. Before she had time to react, she was hoisted into the air and restrained in Michael's grasp as he hurriedly and clumsily tried to strap the rocket to the beast. Robin leapt aside while Michael struggled to juggle both the shrieking cat and the explosive. He pinned the cat to the ground to stop it wriggling free. Robin, now! But Robin froze. He could only watch the helpless animal desperately claw for freedom from the disgusting fate that awaited her. He dropped the rocket on the floor and stepped backwards. Realising he was on his own, Michael snagged the weapon and taped it to Jinx's back, fumbling with a matchbox in his pocket. Michael, no! Robin cried. As the captor held a match between his fingers in one hand and clamped his four-legged victim with the other, light, dreaded footsteps scuffed the dry dirt behind him. Michael stopped dead. His eyes panned upwards and found the wrinkled, weathered face of the matron shrouding over him in the moonlight. The lashings were extraordinarily severe that night. The crying was coupled with agonising groans of desperation. Robin knew that something was off about this. All of it. What if they weren't being adopted? Had he just sentenced his friend to endless torture? He toyed with the idea of going to rescue him, knowing it would mean he too would receive the thick end of the cane, if not worse. His toes touched the icy floorboards of his bedroom when there came a sudden snap. Michael's screaming went silent. Robin slowly lifted his feet back into bed and lay with his eyes wide open. Sleep eluded him as the house slumped into a deathly slumber. The next morning, Michael's place at the breakfast table remained unoccupied and there was no porridge bowl set for him. Sleep deprived, it was understandable that Robin's appetite had deserted him. Perhaps Michael achieved his goal after all. He might well have been on his way to a beautiful house with a lovely family. A new mother and father to take care of him, 
feeding him three hot meals a day. Robin nearly trapped himself in another daydream, but it wasn't long before his mind found Mrs Parsons' mangled corpse at the foot of the stairs. He hadn't heard a single sound last night after his friend's cries were cut short. When the matron eventually appeared, she inspected the children who were looking down at their porridge and placed an envelope before them. It was unaddressed, but keeping her wrinkled fingers on it at all times, she slid it across to Robin. Their eyes locked. Her hair was thicker at the roots and her skin was brighter. She could have been mistaken for being in her early sixties instead of her seventies. He slowly reached for the envelope as she watched eagerly. She walked over to the cupboard where the bowls were kept as Robin took out a small piece of paper and read the short letter aloud so that the others could hear. I have a new family now. It's just what I was looking for. Goodbye. Michael. As he finished reading, the children were startled by the sound of Michael's porridge bowl clattering at the bottom of the dustbin. Robin read the letter again, but to himself. He wasn't convinced. Then a disturbing detail crept to the front of his mind. It occurred to him that Michael couldn't write, or at least not very well. When he had scrawled across the walls of the house, Michael had to be shown how to do it. He simply copied Robin's writing in the scruffiest handwriting he'd ever seen. Robin knew he had to find out what was really going on. The matron might well be a witch, and if she was, what else was she hiding? That night, Robin passed Michael's now empty bed and snuck out of his room. He was sure that if the matron caught him now, he would wind up just like Michael and the others before him. He crept past her sleeping quarters and laid his eyes on the forbidden archway, the one they were told to never enter. He edged nearer, the floorboards lightly creaking under his precious footsteps. He thought he heard a shuffling coming from the matron's room and he froze on the spot. Beads of sweat oozed from his brow. A few moments passed and when he was sure it was nothing, he continued, eventually creeping through the archway. As he did, he felt an unnatural coldness overcome him. It was too late to turn back now, he thought. The corridor beyond the archway was narrow and dark. Robin was not sure whether there was an end to it. He was unsure whether it was his mind playing tricks on him at the late hour, but it seemed to go on further than the length of the building itself. He looked back to see he was leaving footprints in the thick layer of dust that blanketed the floorboards and thought that maybe he should abandon the idea altogether. Then he stubbed his toe against a raised wooden panel that edged a small square in the floor, small enough to miss, but big enough for a scrawny ten-year-old boy to climb down. He peered into the hatch. A ladder descended into nothing. The wooden rungs shrieked beneath his curious footsteps as he disappeared into the darkness. The ladder went on and on and on. Robin must have been underground by now. His feet eventually found a cobbled floor, and he found himself shivering while his eyes slowly adjusted to the dark, lit only by dim candlelight which was close to dying out. He instinctively covered his itching nose with his sleeve, fogging up his glasses. Beneath the burning smell of chemicals lurked an even more horrendous stench. Something about it reminded him of the time he and Michael dug up some sort of dead animal in the garden during Robin's first autumn at Lowcrest. When at last some minor vision returned to him, 
Robin gazed upon his discovery. Rows and rows of carefully labelled jars and bottles lined every inch of the wooden shelves along the walls. His eyes met the terrible sight of limbs and tails, dissected from small critters, preserved in strange substances. Various vials of curious concoctions littered a large table in the centre of the room, one of which was a beaker of thick, cloudy liquid held aloft over what looked to be a palm-sized cauldron. Robin had to see more of this unusual place that had been kept a secret for so long. With the cobbled floor echoing with each step, Robin wandered over to the table to inspect it. He found a large leather-bound book. It was closed and bookmarked with a feather. He heaved the book open, trying his best to suppress his coughs from the plume of dust that stifled his lungs. Once it settled, something else caught his attention. A crate beneath the table rattled with junk. He slid it closer and found an assortment of toys that the matron had confiscated over many years. Playing cards, stickers, a broken Tamagotchi, pogs, a shattered Rubik's Cube, a stringless yo-yo, a walkie-talkie and loose chunks of Lego. But these things didn't interest him. He brushed aside a cracked Game Boy colour and found something he thought he might have lost forever. A small pouch of marbles. He counted out each one into his palm. They were all there. He knew it wasn't much, but he could feel his eyes watering. Shoving the pouch into his pocket, a marble escaped, rolling further under the table. It was as he bent down to reach for it that he saw a second crate containing something else. The Kaboom 6000. It was just sitting there amongst all of the other confiscated childhood treasures. He fumbled it back into the crate, trying to think of anything other than that recent night, and turned his attention back to the book. He frowned at the words that were all scrawled in a language he couldn't read, and they were paired with rough illustrations of different tools and body parts. Trying to make any sense of the notes, he placed his hands on the table, to which they immediately recoiled. He grimaced at the slimy surface of the table, sticky goo clinging to his fingertips. After flicking through the pages for a few moments, an unnerving realisation struck him. His hunch was confirmed. The handwriting matched that in Michael's letter. He had to tell the others. Robin stepped around the table. Clunk! His heart soared into his throat as a single brick gave way under his foot. The sound of grinding stone rumbled. On the far side of the room, a large wooden bookcase slid ajar, unveiling a secret room. Robin edged towards the opening as a creeping mist began to carpet the cobblestones. A sharp chill stole his breath. He stepped into a cramped chamber, lit by a single white lamp. The house wasn't a warm place, but Robin had never felt so cold in his entire life until now. When the icy fog cleared, he noticed a cracked dial with a frozen pointer, minus 24 degrees. As he looked around, trying to make sense of where he was and what might be kept here, a shiver slithered over him and seeped into every bone in his body as he came face to face with something that would torment his poor soul for as long as he lived. Inside a large glass jar, he could see a head. A human head. Michael's head. The shock slung him backwards as he scrambled away, unable to take his scarred eyes from the anguished expression of his friend whose horrified, screaming face was frozen in place 
eyes open, mouth wide. Putting as much distance between himself and the preserved head as possible, he thumped into a rack of shelves behind him. He swivelled around to see a similar, slightly smaller jar, with another head. Robin gasped as he recognised a young girl. She was adopted a few months ago. He shot up and stood in the middle of the room, keeping from the edges as best he could. His eyes scoured the shelves. There were more jars, dozens of them, crammed together, each containing a head or a body part of a child that he thought had been adopted all this time. Fingers, eyes, teeth. He couldn't prevent the outpour of porridge oats as he vomited across the frozen floor. He burst from the icy box into the now pitch black room and sighted his only escape up the ladder. He gripped it for dear life and clambered without looking back, his eyes glued to the small square of freedom above him as the ladder rattled violently in his sweaty palms. His breath was short and sharp. The frightening thought of what might happen if she found him here churned his stomach even more. As he peeked from the floorboards, he found himself locked in a gaze with two emerald green eyes. Jinx was sitting at the trap door waiting for him. Robin gulped. Behind her was the looming silhouette of a hunched figure who knew she'd been found out. As had he. He had to get out of there. He was almost hypnotised by the dark pits atop the matron's crooked nose. His fingers were going numb and he started to choke. He was suddenly losing control of his entire body. His heart was thumping his chest wide open and he was certain that his ribs might crack as he scurried down the ladder. She lunged towards him, her gaping jaw revealed a horrid set of razor-sharp teeth and a forked tongue dripping with saliva. Robin nearly fell backwards into the hole but managed to maintain his grip. He dared not look back, the witch was breathing down his neck. Robin skid across the cobbles, retreating under the table. He shifted the Kaboom 6000 aside to make space for him to tuck his knees to his trembling body. He didn't hear the matron climb down the ladder, yet there she was. She stood by the foot of it, with Jinx by her side. His eyes shot between them and the firework next to him. All sense abandoned him while a plan formed in his head. Instinct told him to reach into the crate for the explosive. The rattle of the few sticks in a matchbox alerted the patrolling cat, a sharp meow blaring in his direction. Robin fumbled with the box and tried to light one of the matches, but it snapped against the strip. He threw it aside, panicking and panting as the footsteps edged nearer. One, two, three times he tried to light the next match. It was a dud. Jinx was now under the table, meowing in his face and scratching at his fragile skin. The matron stopped beside him. Robin had one last chance. He took the final match and pressed it against the strip. He struck it hard. To his amazement, it lit. He dragged the rocket closer and held the fuse to the flame. It sparked, sending Jinx fleeing at the imminent danger. Holding it tightly, Robin shot from beneath the table. He dashed the marbles at the feet of the matron who fell over trying to dodge them, yelling in frustration. Robin launched the rocket at her face and bound for the ladder, leaving the crackling countdown behind him. He raced for freedom, but there wasn't enough time. An enormous explosion erupted, blasting debris in all directions. The ladder shattered in Robin's fingers and he was sent tumbling to the bottom of the basement. He bashed his head against the hard floor as the sound of sparks flying and glass smashing rang through his ears. His eyes were dazzled by the flashing lights illuminating this cesspit of a place and they quickly became heavy as he fought against unconsciousness. The room was ablaze 
and he could see the old woman was engulfed in the flames, shrieking in anguish as she burned alive, her fingernails clawing at the cobbles in desperate pleas. Robin's eyes closed for what he thought would be the last time while the fire roared on, swallowing the agonising cries of the matron. In some twisted way, Lowcrest Valley began to thrive after the disaster of the house burning down. Tourists travelled from around the country to gaze upon the ashen ground that Lowcrest House once stood on. The story of a desperate little dweller, too bitter about the strict home lifestyle, burning down his home and killing his matron, fascinated people. Of course, Robin knew the real story, but no one would believe him. This was just another unfortunate chapter in his life, one that he hoped would be the last. His new home reminded him of the first place he had stayed at, a large, fancy house with a long driveway and plenty of lush green grass to run around on. Not a single dead bush or barbed wire fence in sight. It was quiet, a few miles from the closest city, but it never felt as isolated as the entirety of Lowcrest Valley did. The most important thing about this was that it was permanent. Robin got what all the others wanted. He'd been fortunate enough to be adopted and escaped the matron's clutches, but he found himself unable to shake a niggling thought. What did happen to the others? Did they manage to escape the fire? Or had he mistakenly killed them too? One afternoon, when he and his foster sister had finished playing outside, Robin spent a few moments sitting on the garden bench. He ruffled through his pockets and took out the empty marble pouch. He smiled, peacefully reminiscing. But then, from the corner of his eye, he caught a glimpse of something moving. Something so out of place, yet so familiar to him. He peered down the long, gravel driveway toward the front gates. He took a few steps forward, squinting to try and make it out. He stopped. The hairs on his neck stood on end as a strange, suffocating feeling overcame him. Sat by a gap in the fence was a small, dark, four-legged creature staring right at him with piercing, emerald-green eyes. That was The Matron of Lowcrest House by Charlie Brentnell. Should you find yourself lost and alone again, join me for another twisted tale. But tonight, as you leave the glow and warmth of the campfire and the last ember flickers in the dying light, remember that these stories will stay with you. You've been listening to an audio series from the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. To show your support on this project, along with the other content we create, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can keep up to date with everything else we are up to on social media using the links in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening.